show by fans for fans. My name's Eric Morrow, Seattle Mariners baseball, everybody. Let's get started. That smile is back on Junior's face. Line drive, base hit to win it. Welcome to Casuals Corner, of the show by fans, for fans, Seattle Mariners baseball, everybody. My name is Eric Morrow. I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Tyler Matsumoto. How are you tonight, Tyler? Well, my friend, personally, I'm doing great. I wish our teams were doing a little bit better, but that's pro sports, isn't it? Well, I'm going to have some questions to ask. We've got questions out here in fandom. I am happy to uh, say that we've got a guest with us here tonight, uh, Cody from Hood River, Oregon. How are you, Cody? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight, Eric. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to have uh, fans from all over uh, Mariners Nation, and each person brings their own unique experience to fandom, maybe their profession, uh, leads them into some views or something like that. So we're showing what Mariner fans' talent we have. It's full of it out there. Thank you for being part of the uh, the show here today, Cody. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Let's talk Mariners baseball. And ladies and gentlemen, it, it's been a rough uh, 10 days. We've, we've done the Mets. We lost a series. We lost a series to Cincinnati. And we lost a series to um, the Rays, and it was brutal. Tyler, what was our record in that 10 days? Tell me about it. Well, our record in the last 10 games is 3-7. and seven. I dubbed last month the Awesome August, and I have to be honest, right now I'm calling this the Sorry September until things change, hopefully. As you said, Eric... We've lost three straight series. We've lost three straight games. In the last 10 games, we've scored 42 runs. We have given up 52 runs in that span. So that's a minus 10 run differential in the last 10 games. Is there anything you would like to touch on in this losing streak, Cody? I mean, this is one of those losing streaks that you just want to put behind you. Um, you're headed into this final stretch against some really tough teams. And honestly, we as fans and them as players should really try hard not to sleep on this one too much. It's been a disappointing week, that's for sure. But let's take a look at it, folks. We had two eight-game winning streaks in August, plus other wins, most wins ever. Uh, you know you're going to come down off that high. You know you're going to pay for that high. Um, here we are into September, our last East Coast road trip. And to be be fair, uh, teams are a little ragged at this point in the year. Several teams are, almost every team is ragged at this point in the year, unless they've just given up. Uh, we take an East Coast trip. We know how those go normally, or a lot of times. Uh, we're at Mets. They're playing decent. Uh, Cincinnati, they're playing good. And, of course, the Rays are like the second-best team in the AL. Tough trip. We would expect more. I would be expect, expecting um, a 6-4, and 5-5. Five and five. Uh, Pretty tough, huh, Tyler? 
Yeah, without question. And our hitting and our run production has been inconsistent during this losing stretch. But it's been that way all season. What really concerns me right now is it feels that the pitching staff as a whole is kind of starting to run on fumes. Now, I would say that I have the bullpen blues a little bit right now. But a lot of people on the internet are completely exaggerating how horrible they've actually been. When you crunch the numbers for the last 10 games, our bullpen has given up 23 earned runs. And that's of 52 total runs allowed in that stretch. With one blown save and three times we gave up the lead late while tied. And so they're really struggling but it's not nearly as bad as people want to make it out to be. And then I also wanted to add that with those 23 earned runs allowed in the last 10 games from the bullpen, six of those were from a bullpen day where Weaver ended up being DFA'd after that outing. So we'll see how it goes. Do you have any thoughts on the bullpen blues lately, Cody? I mean... These guys are playing every single game tight. Um, you look back across the last you know, couple months and the worst losses come against Oakland and Kansas City, really. And every other game is tight the entire way. So, you know, it's baseball. Like, guys go through great stretches like we've seen the Mariners have uh, going through the month of August uh, where they're all clicking. And, you know, you can't sustain that forever. It's not realistic to think that in baseball that that's possible. Um, but what worries me the most is when you start seeing reports coming out about the team being fatigued um, and even having it boiling, boiling over the way that it did uh, the other day with Kirby, which we'll probably get to later. Um, but I'd say heading into the final month where you're playing arguably the hardest stretch of your schedule and the most important that fatigue and that type of reporting coming out is terrifying as a fan yeah i mean you almost have to give up some games to win more games at times when your team is this uh tired we've kind of burnt through uh all the all the set aside players we've had pitchers we had you know hancock is gone of course ray is gone marco's gone you know, we've had some definite struggles, but other teams do too. Um, it is disturbing to see the fatigue. At least they're off the East Coast, and at least that's, you know, uh, at least they can come home and hopefully catch their breath for a second. Uh, we'd hope that they beat up on the Angels. What do we, who do we have after the Angels, Tyler? Yeah, so we have the Angels coming up followed by the better Los Angeles team. And going forward for the last six series are against winning ball clubs, including those last three series against Texas and Houston. So it's not going to be an easy stretch, but nobody said it was going to be. I just wanted to circle back a tiny bit on the fact that both of you mentioned fatigue amongst the ball club. It's a 162-game grind. And we have a couple of rookie starting pitchers who are trying to grind their way to the finish line. 
We have a bullpen where Matt Brash has been shut down many games recently, and he still leads the league in appearances. I just want to give a fan shout-out to Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez. They both, both those Southpaws get criticized by fans often, but I just want to remind people, in last season, when you combine them together, that's 372 innings pitched and a combined 3.92 ERA. We know how much that would relieve the workload on the bullpen and also help our rookie starters make it to the finish line. They're obviously not coming back this year, but I just want to... I just wanted to give a shout out to the contributions they make to the team and how much they help the other pitchers achieve at their peak performances. Any thoughts from you, Cody? Oh, dude, absolutely. Shout out to guys like Marco. Like it's so sad to go through um, kind of like this growth and get to this point where the team's actually doing what we've all hoped they would do for years. And I feel like Marco was one of those guys that was there first when this thing started to turn. And so it hurts to not see him, uh, to see him out there. Cause the dude's a rock. Like he just eats innings. Um, and you need that, especially if you're going to be having a young rotation like we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those guys, uh, uh, we miss them. The trolls love them. Uh, the trolls love to to climb on Marco's back, um, and and sometimes I climb on Ray's back, uh, complaining about him. But yeah, I mean we're tired. Um, we're gonna get some rest. What do we see in the next ten games? Uh, Cody, you let me know. I I see. Uh, I don't know. What do you see? Let's beat up on these teams, huh? Well. We always seem to get right against the Angels. I don't know what it is, but whenever we need to get right, the Angels always seem to be that team coming around. Um, and here they come again. You know, we we really need these three games against them. They're all at home. Another opportunity for us to show Shohei that uh, Seattle's a good place and we love you and you should come play here. But, you know, aside from the point, hopefully he watches us win those games and get some momentum back and uh, carry through to a really tough three-game series against the other L.A. team, the Dodgers. Um, you know, at least getting one game out of there and sweeping Oakland after that would be ideal, uh, but we'll see what happens. But they do need to take care of business against L.A. Uh, what are you hoping for, 7-3? and three? I mean, that would be... That would be necessary, I think, to keep pace with Houston uh, going forward because you can't lose too much ground uh, to Houston if you have them for a three-game series here at the end. And then, honestly, at this point, who knows where Texas is going to be for that last half of the month. Um, those guys have done an absolute choke job down there uh, here at the <laughs> tail end of this push, and it is beautiful to see. So I'm just going to leave it at that. What do you think, Tyler? How are we going to uh, close out the last last month of the year here in your mind? I still think we have a chance to be pretty strong down the stretch. We really just need to take care of business, like you said, when, against Los Angeles and Oakland. You're, it's so weird. I don't know what it is. You're right. The Angels might be a get-right type of team. It's just going to be really tough. I do think we can get Texas. Houston just has the winning pedigree and they're surging at the right time. 
Now, my friend Eric knows I've been so bullish on the Mariners in the last, basically since the All-Star break, but I feel deep down that maybe the Tampa Bay Rays series this weekend was a reality check for how good the Mariners are against top-notch ball clubs. Do you feel that way at all, Eric? It's baseball to me. Uh, East Coast trips are tough, and there's not a lot of time to catch a lot of rest, and that's a lot different country than than we're used to, a lot different environment. It's baseball. That's kind of the scary thing about the Rangers is – you know, we talked about the Mariners winning so many games. They're due to lose some. Uh, let's hope the Rangers aren't due to win a ton of games here in a row uh, because they are the one team, them and the Blue Jays, that could keep us out of the playoffs. I don't see Red Sox uh, making up six games or whatever. Cody? Yeah, I mean, all hopes that the Texas Rangers just continue to do what they've been doing but you can't bank on that. You know, you got to win games and going into Tampa Bay, that's a great baseball team. Um, four games against them is tough. And, and we played them tough the whole time. Like, you know, we weren't out of those games until the end of them um, in the whole series. And, you know, you squeak one out in the first game and you really just have to uh, have to keep on moving. It's baseball like you said, and that's one of the most important things in baseball and having success is just moving on to the next one because there's always another one. And this stretch, I'm, I'm really excited for this because to me, this is the type of stretch where you find out a lot about your team. They're, they're tired just like everybody else in baseball is at this point. And it comes down to grit, you know, um, and that's that's something that I think this team has. It's something I think Julio brings to this team. And having Julio on this team and who he is, uh, we're really just starting to figure out the identity of the team because he's only been here, you know, two years now at the major league level. So um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what they pull off the rest of this month. Um, gives me 95 vibes all over again with these boys. Ladies and gentlemen, you just can't take your eyes off this team. This is not the time to take your eyes off this team. Everything's in front of us. It's under our own control, our own destiny, but it's got to be done. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why baseball is that soap opera. It is that drama every day. It is what is going to happen tomorrow. I've already forgot about today because it was a win or a loss. What's going to happen down the stretch? We're looking at a historic run. So um, I'm, I don't know what to, to think out of the next 10 games. I'd be happy with five and five, I guess, but uh, um, I'm not sure what to expect out of this team. We've seen two different sides to it. So let's talk. And, and Cody, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and Tyler, you may, you've got some good stories for this too, but let's talk about uh, the human side of baseball, what it's really like to be a baseball player, what a person's day is like, what happens if you're late to work, what do you do after work, what kind of family life do you have? Those things are all interesting to me. Um, what do you know about the human side of baseball, Tyler? 
Well, for starters, Eric, it's kind of funny that we're circling back to the human side of things because basically for the last 20 plus years, the game of baseball has gone so analytical and so many teams and so many baseball programs at any level are going to the computers and going to the numbers and telling and they're letting the computers tell them how to run the team. But you're right. I mean, humans are humans. We have emotions. We have feelings. We have good days. We have bad days. Different humans have different levels of confidence. Even some of the most talented people in the world actually lack inner confidence. It's just a, it's just a strange and fascinating thing that is human nature. And then you also consider we, you know, these ball players are humans too. They might have breakouts with girlfriends. They might have a kid acting up in school. They might be sick on the road. There's all sorts of things that can affect you just because they play six days a week. So it's not like football where you can compartmentalize it a lot easier. No matter what's happening at home, you got to go out and play the next day. So it is kind of an interesting thing to talk about. Do you have any ideas, theories, or comments, Cody? Well, you know, it's professional sports, and that's like your your lifeblood, right, while you're in it. Because um, everybody's window is so short. Um, and I think that you start to... Sports are crazy. Like, they've adapted so much with technology and society throughout, like, you know, the 70s and 80s. You think where we were at, and you watch these old, like, John Cruck videos of dudes sitting around drinking beers in the training room after after a game. And, like, where the game is now from where it was back in those days and where social media is now, the things that are required from these guys who are the Julios, you know, or... uh or the judges of the world, um, to be a leader on a team these days requires so much more self-sacrifice, uh, I think, than it ever has in the history of the game. Um, and so the human side is almost just as important, I think, when we talk about like building a championship team and having that guy at the center of everything who can handle all of that attention and still you know, live a classy life and not uh you know running up charges or whatever what have you because that destroys a lot of guys and a lot of guys aren't ready for it um but i think julio and what makes him really special one of the things about him that makes him truly special is that he appears to be ready to handle all of that and be the dude and then have the talent to back it up and be that guy that people want to follow and to me, in the history of the Mariners teams, you look at all of the great players that we've had the privilege of watching over the last 35 years, we've always had the reluctant hero as kind of the guy who is the centerpiece of our team at whatever point. Even Griffey, you look back at him, and when he came on the scene, he was just a kid. And there's tales of this dude like walking into the stadium, lacing up, and then walking out to go play a professional baseball game. Like that would never happen in modern times. And if it did, you know, they wouldn't be playing as well as Ken Griffey probably just walked out there and played. Um, so, you know, it's the human side of where the sport is going, especially with the rule changes and how we've kind of seen that effect play this year. Uh, 
it's fascinating. I don't, I don't think baseball has ever been more fascinating than it is right now with this kind of next generation of talent. And we're lucky enough that Julio looks to be like he's going to be at the center of it for a long time in a Mariners uniform. The human side of baseball, uh, I don't know my exact ages, but uh, around between 14 and 16, uh, the Mariners had reached out to Julio. And the way he tells a story is that he always felt confident in what, uh, and I believe this is in, in JD's, I know it is, Jerry DePoto's era. Um, he knew this is a team he wanted to come to. And, it, it, you know, it's even though we had other suitors, that's taking care of people on the human side of baseball. Um, because other regimes we'd had at this ball club wouldn't take the time to do that or have the uh, common sense to do that for great players. So I, I think that the Mariners are on the right side of that. I want to talk, uh, well, I, you know, Cody, I feel like I didn't get a chance to really ask about some of your, uh, how you became a Mariners fan, uh, a little bit about where you're from, um, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, grew up in Walla Walla. So Northwest, you know, born and raised. Um, feel like I was a Mariners fan the second I was born because literally like the earliest, earliest memories I have have always been, you know, watching the Mariners through the through the 90s. Um, going to my first game at the Kingdom, watching Randy Johnson uh, pitch a baseball game uh, in second grade was you know, epic. I think that was like, what, 93, 94, something like that. Um, and, you know, full circle kind of uh, experience after the game, there was a young, you know, rookie named Raul Abanez running around while we were all waiting for the players to like come out of this um, stadium into the parking garage, you know, back in the 90s there in uh, Soto, Seattle. And, um, nobody's signing autographs everybody's just giving you the cold shoulder walking by like you see norm walk by you see dan wilson walk by you're just like damn nobody's gonna sign sign a baseball for me today but raul abanez the ultimate mariner uh in his rookie year is just running around trying to sign everybody's stuff um and it was awesome and it was one of those things that you know, made you fall in love even more with those Mariners back in the day because they had such swag to them. Like, you had Jay Buhner shaving heads in the parking lot, like, almost every other week. Um, they were just incredible to, like, grow up watching and being able to fall in love with, you know, Lou Pinella and Cora um, and everybody who was a part of that that decade's worth of a team, especially Griffey kind of, you know, at the center of all of that. And later in life, you know, I'd be working in Seattle um, and I worked at a really high-end restaurant there. And I had the privilege of serving uh, the king on his 26th birthday. And his guest that night was Raul Abanez and his wife. Um, and they shut the restaurant down. It was a whole kind of private thing. And, um, at the end of the dinner, I got to tell Raul, like, Hey, you know, you, you made this memory for me way back when, um, it was really awesome. It's one of the reasons why I love baseball to this day. And the dude straight up broke down in tears and he was, you know, so happy to hear that that was something that he was able to do for somebody. And, 
Um, you talk about genuine people like King Felix is one of the most genuine dudes I've, I've ever been around, um, in this industry that I work in. And, uh, he has this, uh, basically reputation in the city of Seattle for when he goes out to dinner, the last thing he does is he orders two or three of everything to go and takes it straight to the dish pit and hands it off to the guys washing the dishes that night and thanks them, shakes their hand. And honestly, he, he is as advertised, one of the nicest people uh, you'll ever run into. And so, yeah, that's, you know, that's a special human side to see those guys kind of unwind and relax and, I can tell you Felix's kids never left his lap and he was a, uh, he was a class act the whole way. Um, and you meet all sorts of people, you know, doing that type of thing. You know, Matt Hasselbeck was a guy that came through, uh, who was super cool. We saw Russell like every other week. Um, Ichiro we had a big dinner up there and, and it's just, it's very interesting to see people's styles as well because not every baseball player no matter how much money they have to throw around is going to come in and, um, and do the same thing. Everybody has their own perspective and their own idea about what makes them comfortable. Um, and it's really cool to see the players on that side of things, uh, and see them unwind. Absolutely. And that gives us a chance to see what these uh, players are like outside of the stadium. Um, uh, more as a person, more as a human, and see how they love their family and and uh, how they treat folks that uh, are are taking care of them, and that really gives us a, a, some special insight there, Cody. And I appreciate that. Uh, it sounds like you've got some great stories. I can't wait to have you on, and maybe we could talk about uh, the Ichiro story or some of the other guys that. Uh, that you've uh, met along the way uh, during your career. And I understand that you're the general manager of Sincline. Where's Sincline? Lyle, Washington, right across the bridge from uh, Hood River, Oregon. Make your way on the Oregon side, cross over. Go visit our friend Cody at uh, Sincline if you're uh, looking for a wonderful winery. Hey, absolutely, man. I got him. You live in Washington long enough and Seattle long enough for sure. You run into these guys. You know, they're a part of the community. And that is something to me that separates the Seattle Mariners and that organization from a lot of other organizations in the MLB. You see these guys stick around and become a part of the community and they get the support. Um, and it's all there. You know, it's all love. And that's it's a beautiful thing um, that I think Seattle sports and the Pacific Northwest kind of have going for them. We're at an outpost here, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the middle of nowhere, particularly when we were in the 70s and 80s. It's like a million miles away from the rest of the country. We make up our own stories out here. We're out in the West, so, um, and our own memories and things like that. But, Tyler. <clears throat> I've got this question. We've got a young team, but it's not as young as it used to be. Uh, it's matured a year. It's maturing more. What does it take to be a champion? What's it going to take to put a World Series uh, in our pocket? Well, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And we have a few pitchers who are probably going to garner enormous contracts that might just not be in the budget for a, a team like the Mariners. 
the team is the team right now once you're in September. I know that you have been on the train, Eric, to say sign Otani, and if not him, we need to bring in a couple more studs or stars. And that could really be what puts us over the top to get to the World Series finally. You know how I feel just about the playoff seeding and that if we're unable to leapfrog Houston and get the AL West title to secure the bye, we might just have to use too many of our arms too early in the playoff race to last all the way to the World Series. But like I always say, if you have good frontline starting pitching, you can upset any team in any short series. But I do think that a couple extra studs or stars to help our amazing young core might be needed to put us over the top. What do you think on getting us over the top there, Cody? Well, this team that's coming together right now, the way it's like being formed, um, it it reminds me, and this I know you're gonna like hate me for this. It's a stretch, but it reminds me of the Atlanta Braves in the '90s, um, headed up by the three-headed monster that they had, where you get them into the playoffs and you just see these three dudes tear through everybody. Um, and of course, you know, Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox are all Hall of Famers. And I feel like it's pretty hard for pitchers these days in this new era to achieve the stats that they need for, for Hall of Fame status. I don't think it's ever been harder. Um, but the way that, you know, we're watching Kirby develop, like the dude is on a tear. Gilbert has always thrown, you see Miller and Wu coming in now, the young arms that they have for years under control. And then you top it off with Castillo. And even though we're sitting here talking about the pitching staff being fatigued, like you can't deny that the talent um, isn't there and present. And who knows how different things could have looked for those guys this year if Marco stays healthy. Like, that's a lot of innings right there that one dude can eat and keep a staff fresh. And so, you know, not having him, I think, is probably one of the biggest unsung um, problems with our season so far that's starting to rear its head a little bit. But, you know, you look at the other positions that that team had locked down, and it was catcher, first base, center field, third base. And right now the Mariners... You know, they're trotting pretty quality uh, players out at every single one of those positions um, and filling the gaps and getting good production for the most part, especially through August um, from the support guys, especially since that Canzone and uh, Rojas trade. So I don't know the way Jerry is building this thing up. Um, we have a lot to look forward to, and I'm just trying to enjoy the ride. Because it may not be this year, but we are, we're literally in our window. And we haven't been able to say that as Mariners fans since 2001. So, you know, it's a, it's a good day to be a Mariners fan because we have a lot to look forward to. And when you tie in the fact that Julio is apparently who he is as a human being, um, we're going to see a mag, a magnet effect with other talent in this league. You, 
people are going to want to come play with Julio eventually. Uh, and it's going to be a cool thing to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're on the right page. Um, we're, we're on the right step. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, nothing's guaranteed in baseball. Just because you've done everything right doesn't mean you're going to get anything. Uh, but most times, a little luck on your side, which certainly the Mariners have coming, uh, and some gritty play with the right team, the right support system, we can make this happen within the next five years. Uh, the window, you know, the, the future is bright, so we just uh, hope for that to come soon, maybe as soon as this year. Hey, we're going to do something new for you here tonight. We're going to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to hand the show over to Tyler. Tyler, what's your topic tonight? Well, just perfect timing because Tyler's topic this week is a basic overview and look at the Mariners' organizational philosophy. So we kind of just segued right into it perfectly, my friend. Excellent. Excellent. Well, go ahead. Okay, well, Jerry DePoto proudly calls the Mariners a DDT team. I'm not talking about a poisonous pesticide. I'm not talking about a devastating pro wrestling move. What Jerry DePoto is talking about is the Mariners want to draft, develop, and trade. I am big on this as an organizational philosophy because I believe it's really the only way to build a sustainable, consistent winner. And I especially believe this when I know that the Mariners are a mid-market team at best, and we can't just go out there and outbid the richest teams in baseball for the top free agents. We also, as Eric has pointed out so eloquently, are an outpost state we're a city way away from the rest of the country, so there's way more travel time for all of the players. And if you are from the southern USA, or we know there's a giant percentage of players from Latin America, that's a long way from home. Especially considering there's some teams that are so close to each other that you could fly home on a day off on the road, to see your family, or that's just not possible if you're a Seattle Mariner. Now, to back up what Jerry and his staff, their philosophy on draft, develop, and trade, I broke down the Mariners' 40-man roster, and this one will consist of healthy and injured players, but I wanted to take a look because those are the top, the top guys on the big league club. And so 11 of those guys were drafted, 19 were traded for. There's actually only one homegrown international signing in the amazing Julio Rodriguez. We have two major league free agents, and that's Robbie Ray, who signed a blockbuster giant deal, and then Dylan Moore on the complete other side, who signed a minimal free agent deal when he came to Seattle. We have five players off the waiver wire, one from the Rule 5 draft, and one was a minor league free agent. Now, the one thing that always makes me nervous about free agency is the chemistry 
on how this person will mesh with the other people on the ball club. Like we were talking about the human aspect of things. When it's a homegrown player, the coaches, the staff, they know the person way better. And they're also vastly cheaper than a free agent. Guys like Gilbert and Kirby are literally some of the best, if not the best bargains in baseball economics right now. And when they're a homegrown player, you know the person, you know the work ethic, and you know the personality type. And whether you're serious like JK or you're jovial like Julio, it you can be different. You just have to be able to mesh and accept each other's differences. Now, we know the Mariners are on a budget. So, like I said, when you're on a budget, we can't just compete with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets right now to sign the biggest names all the time. But what's awesome to me is four of our top seven starting pitchers were drafted by the team. And if you look at the majority of key players that the Mariners have acquired that are really the mainstays to the success of the team, almost all of them were acquired before they experienced big league success. The only three I could think of that were already established were Castillo, Ray, and Teoscar. So that just signals to me great developmental plans and execution by the players and the baseball staff. And just one more note I wrote down is that we spent really big money on Castillo and Ray, and Marco actually has a pretty hefty contract in his own right, but these sort of starters are just critical in helping develop your young starters properly and to make sure that we can get the best out of them short-term and long-term. So, in summary, I just really like the philosophy of homegrown players. Now, I would also add I would like us to push up our budget a little bit higher, though, to get some free agents in here to really push us over the top. And that is all I have to say about Jerry and his DDT philosophy is there anything you want to add here cody i love the ddt (laughs) i'm right there with you i think for us you know realistically the only way to to build no matter how frustrating it is sometimes is to go the route that we're going um but it takes a lot of luck like you look at guys like mitch hanniger and kyle lewis um, guys that could have had phenomenal careers. James Paxton, you know, same thing as well. Injuries are a big part of this game. Um, and if you can't, you know, get yourself over that hump um, and get healthy and stay right, then it derails careers. And it takes, you know, a lot of talent and all the right things going for you. But if you can't stay healthy, uh, sports sports don't work out too well um, eventually for anybody. So um, that's, that's the luck part of it, right? Got to be lucky too. What do you think about that, Eric? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, that's all we can do is we can draft, we can develop 
and we can trade for players that uh, have to come hit for us. Maybe don't want to come hit for us, but they have to. And then they learn how to be a, a good hitter in Seattle, uh, like we hope uh, Teal is doing now, um, and and find a spot, find a home here. Because you're right, you look at the Mariners Hall of Fame, and it's all full of people we know. Um, you know, most of them are in the community or involved with the team. We've got uh, Alvin Davis. We've got Dan Wilson. We've got um, Edgar Martinez is, is prominent in the city. We've got Ken Griffey Jr. who loves to be back here. Um, and Dave Valley, uh, Bill Kruger's part of the, uh, the, the broadcast there. Uh, Seattle's a great place to be from, and uh, it's you're kind of a— a big fish in a small pond, and uh, the city has grown tremendously. Let's get a championship on that. Tyler, thank you for the topic this week. You're very welcome, my friend. I want to move on to uh, some fun stuff. I hope it to be fun, and I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask Cody, and then I'm going to ask uh, Tyler the same question. But we've got some questions that we come up with off a of Bleacher Report, and and we wanted to ask some of those or try to answer uh, some of those or at least give you an opinion on some of this. Um, let's start with you, Cody. Why is Tom Murphy more important in the playoff push than J.K.? And is he? Uh, he is not. He is definitely not. Um, Tom Murphy is a great piece of this team, but the kind of power and run we know JK can go on when he's hot, that that's really what we need uh, from him. We need him to be able to come up and have good at-bats and get the right pitch and do Jared Kalinick things. Uh, he was drafted where he was for a reason. Um, when you talk about the human side of the sport, and you have the tale of Jared Kalinick and Julio Rodriguez literally sitting in the same room together. Um, both guys with just immense potential, same age, you know, same kind of pedigree. And, and you see where the mental side of this game comes into play big time because JK has not been able to, to weather the storm as well as Julio. And it doesn't mean that he, by any means, doesn't have the same potential or capabilities. Um, but I think that's been a serious part of, of his, uh, regression, if you will, um, in his progress in becoming a true pro. Um, but I do know word on the street that he has picked up golf and he crushes golf balls. And when he plays loose and lets himself go, the dude, the dude's a good ball player. Uh, he just is so. You know, hoping he can get it right because a very, very good Jared Kalenic, uh, I think, adds a lot more um, to our roster uh, than what we would, you know, potentially get from Murph. Because if, you, if you're putting in Murph, you're taking out Cal. And I'll tell you what, Cal is one of the best catchers in baseball right now. Well, couldn't you have him DH? Couldn't you have one of the two DH? You could. Um but is it going to get you any anything anything more than Mike Ford? You know, that's debatable. Let me ask you the same question, Tyler. Uh, why is Tom Murphy more important to the playoff push than J.K. or is he? Well, this is what makes baseball so fun to me, especially if you follow it 
as a fan across 162 games. Because if you asked me a month ago or so, I would definitely say Tom Murphy would be a more crucial player. But that's because Cade Marlowe was crushing. Canzone was doing pretty well. Mike Ford was doing pretty well. Tom Murphy was absolutely crushing the ball. Now, Murphy hurt. Canzone's cooled off. Ford has cooled off. And uh, my boy Cade, he's not even playing right now. So I think I might have to change my tune and say it is Jared Kelenic. And it's it, it's just kind of a fluid situation if you're if you like baseball. Cause you go through hot streaks, you go through cool streaks. Now, one thing I want to ask you both of you, maybe Eric, you go first uh, on this one, then we'll toss it to Cody. But we bring Jared back. Who ends up at the D eight spot? Do we go Teo? Do we go Ford? Do we go Canzone? And the one thing I'd say is Teo is still first in outfield assists in the American League. So maybe he doesn't have the range of a Canzone or a Kelenic, but maybe his arm keeps him out there. What do you guys think you would want to do juggling the lineup when Jared comes back? Well, um, you know, Jared Kelenic needs to be in the field. He's probably our very close to... Um, Julio's defense, as far as I'm concerned, maybe can't cover the the ground that he can, but, uh, you know, you've got a star defensive player, and I think Cody was kind of pointing at that, not only the bats, but uh, the defense out there. Um, And I, I, you know, I agree. Uh, I've seen some arguments why Murphy was so important, and and he is, and he's a great player, and we'd love to have him back, but I don't think he um, is more important to our playoff push than Jared Kelnick, uh, who hopefully his bat will come together. Ladies and gentlemen, not everybody's a fun back slapping, shake your hand, center of attention, center of the party kind of personalities. You know, we baseball players have all kinds of different personalities and, and some of us are just a little bit more reserved. Some of us take things a little more seriously than others. And and I think that's what you're seeing with with Jared Kelnick, um, and and I hope he's getting some uh, some 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 therapy that will uh, help him just know how to uh, use his personality in in the most gifted way, uh, and use that intense uh, personality to win games because that's what that kind of personality can do. You've got Julio to go and slap everybody on the back and make everybody smile. Uh, Jared is going to be a great player and watch him come out and, and stink it up. Who's going to be the, the DH, you know, I, I think Scott will just play that by ear. You know, we want to have four outfielders, uh, giving folks a break. We can rotate that DH is probably what would happen with Ford, probably playing it a couple times a week, can zone off the bench, um, you know, uh, like you said, if if a guy's leading the MLB in assists, it's hard to take him out of there for T.O., um, but we can give him breaks and we can uh, switch things up and uh, make things happen. Anyhow, that was from our friend and, and, and guest 
uh, a couple weeks ago, Josh Griebel. Here's a question from Tyler at uh, Grizz Money uh, on BR. How the return of J- Jared Kelnick affect the lineup? So getting JK back, just like we've been talking about, affects the team in two drastically different ways. One is absolutely in the field. Uh, he is a plus defender, plus arm. That obviously, I think, has been the one consistent thing about Jared Kalenic ever since he's come up to the majors is that he's good in the field. Um, and swinging Tio into the DH role, like that right there solves another problem uh, for our team. Like consistency at DH this year has been really difficult to find. It's been up and down. You get guys who come in and do a great job for a little bit, and then they go like, Oh, for 13 and you're like what is going on out of the dh um and so i think when you look at how scott is going to start assembling this roster with jared clinic coming back uh for the playoffs is a more athletic outfield with canzone probably in left uh julio in center jared clinic and right um and tio at the dh spot and then you've got murphy coming in if you need a pinch hitter or if you need to give cal a rest that's going to be awesome to have the luxury of all of that. Um, but getting JK back into this lineup for in time for the playoffs and this last push is huge. Um, and to see the numbers coming out of AAA where he has just been absolutely annihilating baseballs is really, really hopeful. Um, let's all just hope Jared Kalenic just keeps crushing the small white ball. <laughs> yep. Yep. JK, do it. You you don't want to work at Walmart, buddy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd make a hell of a greeter, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. Jared, come on back. Uh, Tom Murphy, we don't agree with uh, that. Uh, Murphy is more important than Jared Kelnip, but we do agree that Murphy's a great player. He's a great catcher. Catching is a team sport. It's not just one guy. If you run one guy out there every day, he's going to get run down really fast, and you're probably hurting his chances for a longer career. Uh, it's a team sport. Catching is a team sport, folks, and uh, we want Murphy to come back. Um, let's move on here. I've got a look, little bit uh, for my friend Jay Moyer fan um, here in a little bit, but... Uh, my buddy Cam, uh, CMK77, great friend of mine on, on Bleacher Report, uh, he wants a re-evaluation of the Castillo trade. And I think maybe let's do a um, re-evaluation of the Seawald trade also, Tyler. Well, for starters, teams aren't dumb and the video game and the internet trade trackers that you can insert your own trades and see if the numbers will agree with you are completely bogus, in my opinion. I know we were all disappointed to trade Marte, especially when he had a good series against us recently, and he is such a young, young player in this league. You're talking about Noevi. Is that how you say his name? Noel V. Marte, I believe. Thank you. Uh, We traded him to Cincinnati. Uh, Please go ahead. Well, you have to trade quality to to get quality. 
And Castillo is a legit ace. Is he perfect? No, but nobody is. This is Major League Baseball. You're going to get touched up now and then. But everyone wants to crown Garrett Cole the Cy Young for the AL. And if you match up stats for stats, Castillo's right there with them. And I will always be for that trade. You need some rocks. And literally, that's his nickname, La Piedra. But you need some rocks at the front of your rotation just to ease some pressure off of Gilbert, off of Kirby, off of the other young studs. It's not easy going from a rookie starter and turning yourself into an all-star or a stud. And so I will never, ever bash the Castillo trade. The Seawall trade... I still am on the fence right now, and that's mainly because the bullpen's kind of been struggling lately. But the bottom line is, is if you are going to trade a 33-year-old reliever for two younger starting position players, you make that trade 10 out of 10 times. So we just kind of got to live with the lumps, I guess, that are in the bullpen right now or lack of depth or lack of confidence, whatever is going on with Munoz and a couple other guys. But I love Seawald. You know how much I love Seawald. I love the grit. I love the attitude. But it's kind of a trade you have to make, in my opinion. Yeah, and I want to and thank you, Tyler. Um, we want to hear opinions from all three of us on these questions. Uh Cody, who else, uh, and maybe you know this information, maybe you don't. We've got Noel V. Marte. We've got Edwin Arayo. And I, forgive me, folks, if I'm saying these names wrong. Uh, we've got Levi Stout, who's a right-handed pitcher, and we've got Andrew Moore, who's a right-handed pitcher. We've seen Marte. Have we seen any of these other players, or do you think they're going to amount to much? You know, I think where we stand right now, you make that trade no matter what. Um, if you look at our lineup right now without Castillo and you just bank on Ray being healthy and being your front of the line guy, um, it's, it would be a whole different situation, uh, that we'd be looking at. La Piedra has been as good as advertised. You know, he's been consistent in the sense that when he's on, he's on and he's your ace. Um, and I think Marte is going to be the one that ends up hurting us the most, but, you know, like Tyler said, these teams aren't dumb and you have to give up talent for talent. And, um, you know, there's a young kid coming up in our system, Felman Celestin, who's, you know, the next Marte, if you will. So they had to have believed that they had the depth in the, in the farm system to make that trade. And I think we see it. There's some there's some talented young position players that are coming up in our system um, that are going to make a big impact uh, while our window is still here. You know, Julio's window, he's only 22, and this team is on his back every step of the way, and where Julio goes, this team goes. Um, he has a ridiculous month. The team has a ridiculous month. That's, I think, going to be the theme as we go forward in his career and get to watch what he is. And that—that that is what is so different to me about this team, where they're headed, um, 
And so, you know, the trade for Seawald, it hurts now, you know, but you have to, you have to fix that hole at second base. That's been kind of our Achilles heel all season. And Rojas and Canzone have come in and played admirably. Those guys have put up better numbers through the stretch they've played with us really than they've put up all season. So, um, got to be stoked about that, especially in the moment, but going forward, you know, this is Julio's team and we haven't even seen his ceiling yet. He's a 22 year old kid just doing ridiculous things. And, um, Griffey's power didn't come till later. If Julio, you know, achieves those same type of, um, goals, you're looking at a, a 45, 50 home run guy for a few seasons out of his career. And that's going to be an amazing thing to see from a dude in a Mariners uniform, once again, playing center field. Yeah, I have to agree. That's great points, guys. Um, Castile trade, I kind of get over these trades in a hurry. You know, I don't sit and dwell on them. I don't think, well, if, if so-and-so was back here, we wouldn't have lost that game. We look at the Castile trade. One thing we haven't talked about, guys, is we were able to sign him for a very fair uh contract five years he signed up he's ready to go he seems like a total team player uh happy to be here that's that's part of the human side there uh is really impressive uh, from castillo um these other guys you know we lost noel Vey, but i don't we don't know what these other guys are going to do i don't think the pitchers are that great and arayo may be a major leaguer he may not uh, we do that trade all the time. I don't think there's much um, much question about that. Um, the Seawald trade, you know, again, how many weeks ago did you did I tell you I was over it, Tyler? Four, five? Yeah, you're not lying. You said you – and I like your perspective. You said you were over it like two or three days afterwards. And I guess I respect it and like it so much just because there's no trade backs. And so what's done is done. You got to move forward. So, yeah. And, 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 and Cody, you kind of touched on this, but I mean, this Rojas has been great. He's finally with the team who wants him and needs him. Is he a star, all star? Is he a star player? No, but you can't have that at every position on your team. Um, he's, he's been playing as, as good a defense as any other second baseman and he's been bringing a smile and he's been bringing the bat too i mean i'm you know it's not over the top with the bat but uh it certainly helped out canzone looks like he's gonna probably be the next mitch hanniger or something like that hopefully without the injuries this guy looks like he's never shaved in his life and uh he's had a couple goofy outfield runs but he's also made some spectacular catches folks and uh you know he's learning his way he also carries a pretty big stick and uh we're finding that out you know that here's the mariners a brand new brand new cat who we have years of control over at a at a great salary uh can really grow with the team uh we got that and a second baseman. Yeah, no problem. You know, does it suck not to have Seawald? Yes. But Seawald was pretty run down by this time last year, and uh, it wasn't getting better as the, as the, uh, as the season went on. So thank you, uh, Cam, CMK77, for that uh, question. 
take you to the learning corner here. We want to learn something every week or try to. And uh, today's question is by my friend uh, Jay at Moyer Fan uh, on Bleacher Report. He has a question. Why is it so hard to hit a T-Mobile? And I think we all kind of know about this, that, uh, um, you know, free agents may rumored not want to come here because it's harder to hit. Uh, it's definitely a hard place to uh, score runs. Pitchers are gravitated to towards our system. We are built for pitching. We are built for defense. Uh, and runs are a premium in Seattle. So I took a, a minute and I dug into some, well, I took about 18 minutes and I dug into some ads, or not ads, but uh, um, some uh, articles that would help us out here. So most of this stuff, I'm just getting off the internet and a particular shout out to uh, Lookout Landing, uh, where a lot of this information is coming from. Really, I mean, I could have just, uh, directed you to the uh, the article itself. It does such a good job, but I thought I'd go over it a little bit for you. We know that um, Seattle's at an elevation of 175 feet. Phoenix, about three hours away from me, is 1,086 feet. Denver is 5276, 5,276 feet. In Mexico City, very similar where I'm at here at Boondock Studios, Flagstaff, Arizona, 7,349 feet. Higher elevation creates less drag, means that the ball flies further. Um, there you go. Strike one, Seattle. 175 over sea level. We know it's we know it's short. Um, let's take the Mexico City example. Uh, they had a game. I believe it's this year, maybe it's last year. Uh, anyhow, uh, Padres and Giants, uh, we're looking at 16 to 11 in that game. Six home runs by the Padres, five home runs by the Giants. Ton of offense, very little. Um, there's not much you can do when the ball's flying out of the park. Mexico City, 7,349 feet. Seattle is 175. We all know about... Uh, Denver there, where uh, we all know that's probably the biggest offensive park in the league, and uh, that's 5,200 feet, and Seattle is 175. So we, we know that the ball just doesn't travel as far. The pitches also do not move as far in the high elevation. So in Seattle, your, your breaking pitch, uh, your curveball is going to drop quite a bit more than it would be if you did it uh, the same pitcher through the same pitch in Denver or, God forbid, Mexico City, you're going to get hardly any break out of that breaking, breaking ball. Again, the higher elevation favors the offense. The lower elevation favors the defense. And air density has w what is to do with this. Um, today, our cars know to switch when you go up into the, the high mountains, but if you've got a small engine or something like that, there's different jets and stuff you can get to make your engine work properly, like where I'm at, 7,300 feet or something like that. That's considered extreme. And, uh, you know, there's just less air up here, less air density. It takes about a week to really get used to uh, 
the climate up here for normal folks. Now, if you're a marathon runner or something, I'm, I'm still positive you would notice a difference. It's just a little harder to breathe up at this, this, uh, this level, which creates the ball to go farther. And, you know, top spin, something about the Magnus effect. Again, I want to thank Lookout Landing for the majority of this stuff. Um, this is the second straight season that uh, T-Mobile has been the hardest park to hit at in Major League Baseball. And it's almost 9% more than the average less runs at T-Mobile. It's 20% than Great America Ballpark in Cincinnati. So that's 20% harder to get a hit than in Cincinnati. And in 2013, the Mariners realized that uh, that the game, you know, we weren't scoring enough home runs and that the park probably had a lot to do with that. And they wanted to kind of make it a little more offensive friendly. So in 2013, they moved in center and left field uh, several feet. Um, and what that's allowed us to do is hit more home runs. And it wasn't that long ago that you had uh, Seeger hitting 35 and Henniger hitting 39 in the same year. Um, T-Mobile's right about the middle of the pack for hitting home runs. It's not in the lower like you would think. Uh, the The dimensions of the park and the fact that there's not a lot of foul ball area um, really creates an opportunity whether you get over the fence and score or it's a pop-up and an out. MLB has introduced humidors to all the major league ballparks. Seattle was one of the first to go ahead and do that. And it just keeps the balls across the league a little bit more, um, a little bit more the same between all parks instead of having humidity affect one or the other. You, you know, you got to look at, at Safeco Field. It doesn't have a lot of foul ground, like I said. The ball hangs in the air a little bit longer. You've got a small park, really. And that means that a lot of the balls get caught out there. I mean, it doesn't take a great outfield to be able to cover that outfield. Um, you know, it, it, did the ball is hanging up just a little longer. And uh, these guys are covering so much ground. That's pretty much what I've come up for you, Jay. So when you take all that stuff into account, you'll find that uh, T-Mobile is is definitely one of the, if not the hardest place. It's definitely to hit a triple. Doubles are not very common. Singles a little more common. It would be, you know, maybe in the, the lower 10. Um, triples are last. Doubles are probably in the lower five uh, percentile. It's a cold, wet environment. You know, the first time I went to T-Mobile, um, I was—I just had it in my head that it was an enclosed building, but it really isn't. Um, for those folks who may live far away from the stadium, you know, the air just flows through. And in April and May, it's it's kind of chilly, particularly if you have a 7 o'clock start or a 6.40 or something like that. It's hard to hit in the cold. Your hands hurt. Everything hurts. You know, the vibration off the bats and stuff. What I'm getting at is you've got the coldest average environment is Seattle. Now, we don't get into, like, 
13-degree games or nothing like that. But over the season, Seattle is the coolest ballpark, cool in cold. You're at sea level, and you've got a defensive park that used to be big and cavernous, but now has been shrunk to create home runs. Playing defense in in T-Mobile is easier than it used to be. This is what's going to lead to low low scoring, folks, and why why it's harder to hit in Seattle. Um, you know, it's kind of a double edged sword, and I think it's why you'll see this team is built up of yes, they strike out more than not than a lot, but at least offensively, Seattle is an average ballpark to hit home runs out. And that's what we're reaching for with our offense. I hope you enjoyed this learning corner. Thank you, Jay, for the question. Um, oh, this guy's a loudmouth. Uh, E-M-T-A-Z's got a question for us. Um, what does free agency and what does Otani's injury change all the crap that you guys have talked about him all the time. And that's from Eric at uh, EMTAZ. Uh, Tyler? Well, for starters, you know that I'm still kind of pessimistic on how realistic it is if we could sign Otani or not. It by no means has any, any implication that I don't want him. This guy is awesome. What I'm so curious about is... We don't know what kind of surgery or if he needs surgery or what is exactly is going on with his arm right now. So I would be a little bit cautious about how much you want to invest in this guy. Because who knows? I mean, if it's another Tommy John, then he's out for the year and maybe he never pitches again. So I think that the medical background coming up this offseason will probably play a huge factor for all teams in baseball that are interested in this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cody, what do you see different in Otani's life, and what do you see different in the Mariners uh, perhaps uh, acquiring him uh, with the injury he has? And just to update from what I understand about the injury from the limited information from his agent is that uh, the tear is in a completely different place uh, than the first one. And, uh, you know, it's the seeming thinking is he can at least DH next year. And, of course, Otani thinks he's going to come back and be an ace pitcher again or, or a very good pitcher. So I'll leave that. Uh, Cody, what does this injury do? do to change the the playing field uh it changes everything um i mean otani the batter uh is still worthy of you know a top end contract like the dude is just ridiculous and we wouldn't have the hesitation we have around any of these you know mega contracts that he's going to get um if he wasn't so ridiculous at everything that he does so it absolutely brings the price down on him. Um, I don't think when you look around the league um, that there's anybody that's going to fully give him like that $600, 700000000 million contract now that he probably would have gotten before. 
But that's also not to say that the dude's probably not going to get 350 or 400 just to be Shohei Otani at the DH. Um, and is it worth it? We'll find out. I don't. I think it changes a lot for the Mariners uh, in the sense that it's less justifiable for them to go after him. And they were probably looking for an excuse anyways. We are a mid-market team. BDT. That is what we do. And paying, you know, $600, $500 million over 10 years for uh, the unicorn isn't really their style anyways. Uh, so we'll see. But do I wish Shohei Otani would come to Seattle? Yes, I do. I feel like he belongs here, and I feel like he made a mistake the first time around, personally, um, by choosing the Angels. But that's just me, so. Yeah. Well, I totally agree with you. I think he made a mistake. I think he likes the city. Um, obviously, the contract's going to be different, but we've seen a lot of creativity out of Seattle with Julio's contract. We've seen a lot of creativity uh, just open to that kind of stuff. Uh, so you've got Otani DHing next year, but his arm's going to come back. The guy can play the field. Um, he can run the bases. You look at him, he's a total athlete. So even if he can't put, uh, pitch again, he could play the field. He could play first base. He could play the outfield. Um, if he can, I think I see, I still have hope, um, that he will come to Seattle because I like you, Cody think, and I don't know, maybe this is wrong of me, but I just think he belongs here. I think he, this is, should be his home. Um, and, and I, I see that as really the only advantage Seattle Mariners have in major league baseball is is maybe some of the best Japanese players will consider playing for us because of the long history we have uh with Japanese baseball and and the and the wonderful uh, Japanese American community we have here there's just a closeness there um and I I really hope that he does come here I see if if uh, obviously, Stanton's words weren't very positive, and I think that's when Tyler really uh, fell out. Um, I'm still hoping, fingers crossed, that they're going to get this done. It's, you know, they've been saving money, and they want to get this guy signed. Uh, I see a contract that pays him for hitting, and I see a contract that pays him for pitching. And uh, they'll work that way somehow. They'll work that out some way. Uh, obviously no trades are even a, a good percentage or a good bet. I mean, you know, you take eight teams that are going to really go after him and to win that is, is not great odds, but, uh, I'm still hoping he comes here. He's going to play DH for us next year. And then he's either going to find his way back to the mound or he's going to find his way, uh, to a position player and should be paid accordingly. You know, um, if you're a great position player, you should be played, paid at the top of the, that level. If you're this, the guy who you have been, very durable this whole time, uh, quite a tragedy to, to hear about his injury. Um, very durable, top pitcher, maybe not the top, but a top pitcher and a top hitter. Um, okay, uh, Seattle wants you, Shohei Otani. I hope we can get it done. And that's for Eric at EMTAZ. Uh, and that's actually me.
<laughs> hey, let's take a look at. Yeah, that's me. That's a question I threw in there. Um, let's take a look. I don't want to look at this too much. Um, the Red Series uh, on the road, you know, that wasn't very fun. And then the race series wasn't very fun either. Do you, uh, do you want to talk about that, Tyler? Well, I've pretty much given every opinion, fact, and stat I could on the negative perspective on the last 10 games that we played. But I'm going to come back and be a little bit more optimistic just in the fact that 3-7 and seven doesn't get much worse than that in Major League Baseball for a 10-game stretch. But we're still in the third wild card spot, so we're, we're still in the playoffs. We're still only two and a half back of Houston, and we're only one back of Toronto for that second wild card spot. However, the Texas Rangers are only a half game behind us, so they're nipping at our heels. We are still 79 and 64 after this stretch. So, although it's been a bad few series, there's still a lot of reason to be optimistic about this team right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, f I feel like we went over this uh, uh, before. Did you have anything to add about those two series, Cody? Uh, nope, we cannot put them behind us fast enough. They just need to go to bed. Three and seven is nothing you ever want to remember. Um, it's time to get it going. It's time to face the Angels. I hope there's a fist fight personally. No, I'm just joking. I never hope for that. Yes, of course. W Winker is gone. We don't even need to talk about that anymore. Um, but, you know, the Angels are a get-right team, and I hope we uh, we get to see the Mariners pull out some grit and show off and ride off into the sunset here and take the division because it's we're right there. Uh, and it's, it's all up to these next couple weeks to see what this team is made of, and um, I'm excited for it. I think they're going to show out. Yeah, you've got to watch every day, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to pay attention. Yeah, the Reds and the Rays and the Mets, that's all like, uh, where is the stink spray? And wave your hand in front of your nose and turn the fan on and shut the door. Uh, let's move forward on that. One other thing that kind of popped up here this week that, uh, and sometimes I say, well, let's not get too involved with our list of stuff because who knows what's going to happen today. And that kind of situation happened, I, I think it was Friday. Um, George Kirby, who's one of my favorites and a, a, a really potentially great pitcher, um, had given up two runs uh, through six innings and ended up going out there for a seventh, if I remember remembering this correctly, and over 100 pitches, which remember, ladies and gentlemen, he's still a young pitcher. He's, uh, I think this is like his sophomore year of being a pro, uh, MLB pro. Um, and he gave up two runs, and it really bothered him. And 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 uh, he kind of uh, implied that uh, the manager should have took him out. Do you see is that... that that is something is a terrible mistake, Tyler, that he made. I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe some of the local media had made it out to be when it happened. I kind of look at we we got a stud pitcher, all-star in his second year, very high expectations for himself, 
He's also a young man who said something that he apologized for. It sounds like he regretted it. You never want to throw your your manager or your teammates under the bus like that. But I kind of just think, move on. These things happen in sports. Guys get frustrated, say things they don't mean. And from all accounts, it sounds like service and the rest of the team have kind of buried it already. And I, I don't I don't look too much into it. You just emotional, upset, and pissed off, frankly. And I, I, I don't blame him on that. It, as long as he apologizes and makes good with the with the team, it's it's not a big deal to me. Yeah, and he did do that apology, ladies and gentlemen. Uh it was sincere and it was you know, he'd caught a bunch of heat for saying that he didn't want the ball in the toughest spaces. Um, or something to that effect. I don't have that in front of me. But uh, and it didn't sound that great when I when he said that. But he did have a great, uh, very sincere apology and made sure that everybody knows that he does want the ball in his hand, and then has to be pulled pulled out of his hand. Cody, uh, this reminds me of the Seawald trade. I'm just kind of over it. I'll let you guys check those comments out. I've got other things to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of over it. Uh, you know, people want to make something out of all this stuff. And, you know, a lot. some of it comes from the trolls. And there's just something in human nature that makes a certain group of people just want to jump on a guy. They want to build him up, and then they want to tear him down. And they, they never get through with it. Uh uh, Roger Clemens, the game is a totally different game than it was when you played. So um, that's all I've got to say about that. We've just had a wonderful show. I mean, it hasn't been a wonderful uh, sports day by any means. The Seahawks have lost. Uh, the Mariners have went 3-7 uh, and seven in the last 10. But we've got a bright future for the team. The Mariners, of course, is what we talk here at Casuals Corner. Um, Tyler... Are I'm I'm sorry, not Tyler, but India, are you with us tonight? I want to give a shout out to our producer Indy. He puts together all these lists. He helps me get uh, all the guests uh, sorted out, and and uh, and and he helps Tyler. And you do a great job, buddy. Tell us about the uh, social media you've been putting together for us. Uh, we have YouTube, and it's. You know, the same title as the show, Casual Corner with Eric Morrow. We have 
Instagram, and it's at CC with Eric Morrow. Um, we're going to be on TikTok soon. We'll be on Thread soon, X soon. Um, we have a Facebook. It is the same title as our show on YouTube, Casuals Corner with Eric Morrow. And um, we'll be uploading more on every social site soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. So uh, Instagram is... It's at CC with Eric Morrow. Uh, you'll find us Casuals Corner. We just kind of take a kickback fans view. The show is by fans. It's for fans. We love you guys. What we want you to do is ask us some more questions. And uh, we've even got a... We've got a... I'm hoping to have a memorabilia uh episode here soon which uh you'll want to follow along on the social so you can see some pictures and stuff like that um if anybody ha is really into memorabilia or cards go ahead and contact us at cc eric morrow uh for casuals corner with eric morrow uh you can get a hold of us uh uh, through the other the facebook's also and uh, check us out on youtube we want to start having some pictures uh, and and a story to follow along on the memorabilia, uh, perhaps trading cards also. So contact us if you've got that. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear some questions from you. Might try to do some prizes here. Um, my friend uh, Moyer fan, who I've got a question to ask answer for him in just a little bit, has donated uh, some sort of fun Mariners gadget, and we want to get that out to folks. We haven't decided the... the uh, the uh, contest for it yet i think we should have like a dunk tank or something don't you tyler <laughs> oh sounds good to me you remember the old dunk tanks don't you oh you know it <laughs> anyhow we're gonna come up with uh some fun for that so check us out on our socials uh Pin the buttons that have to be done. Cody, I, I, I'm going to speak for Tyler a little bit. We've just had a wonderful time uh, with you on the show here tonight. You've brought a lot to the show. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys. And you're crushing this thing. Keep on doing the good work and uh, go Mariners. Thank you so much, buddy. And, and Tyler, I, I want to give you a last word, a last shout out to whoever you like here. I just wanted to say thank you so much, Cody, your insight, your information, and just your time has been awesome. We couldn't thank you enough. And I just wanted to say to any baseball fan out there, if you love great pitching matchups, the projected starters for Friday, September 15th would be George Kirby and Clayton Kershaw. Woo-wee! That might be a pitcher's duel. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's all right in front of us, ladies and gentlemen. You just have to watch every day. It could be fun. It could be sorrowful. It could be in between. Chances are we make the playoffs. Can we hunt Houston down like they deserve to be hunted down and passed? That's our goal. Uh, if that doesn't work, we need to at least get that playoff spot. We need to do better than the uh, the Rangers who we're in front of now. Stick around. Watch every game. Ask us some questions. Visit the socials. It's Casuals Corner with Eric Morrow. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Indy. Good night, everybody.